0: You know, a lot of us were doing some of the, you know, big rides around town and just weren't feeling very welcome. What we decided to do was just, you know, start our own ride. It's called the Freedom Ride. And Black Kids on Bikes was just kind of like that nickname that kind of went with it. It's those Black Kids on Bikes.
1: My friends started the Black Liberation Ride so we could have a bunch of us together. And it does make a statement when you're out on the road, not only to have all these people together on a bike, but have them all be black and brown. There are a lot of times when you start riding that you
2: don't feel inclusive. You kind of go off by yourself and ride solo. And that was kind of one of the reasons when I was glad that I was able to start. Black Girls Do Bikes.
3: All right, this is uh, Bike Talk. On KPFK live stream, we're doing Zoom these days rather than being in the studio. My name is Don Ward and my co-host, Nick Richard. Today is Friday the 12th, and today our show is uh, dedicated to some of the issues that are happening these last couple weeks. We've got a lot of uh, protests happening, we've got a lot of demonstrations, and the bike community has... Come forward and weighed in. I went on the uh, George Floyd ride that originated in, in Lemur Park on Sunday. And uh, I was uh, fortunate to be able to ride along with uh, a group called Black Kids on Bikes, which was founded by Jeremy Swift. And uh, we have Jeremy J. Swift on the show today. We also have Omalara Abode, we have Marty Blunt. Um, We also have uh, a guest from Portland who is organizing bike rides up in Portland for uh, Black and Brown folks up there. Jeremy Swift, you're the co-founder of Black Kids on Bikes and Freedom Ride LA. Omo, I'm going to bring you on as well. You're a math teacher, candidate, video artist, cyclist. Uh, Welcome to the show, you guys.
0: All right, Don. Thanks for having us, man. Big time. Hi,
4: Don. How you doing?
3: Good. Hey, Omo it's a crazy time right now we've got a whole lot of things happening and there's a lot of momentum going on out there in my experience as a as a cyclist and as a basically as a white guy I go through life and and I have a certain perspective on life and you don't realize how much safer things are as a white person on the roads and out in public and I you know, when I got onto a bicycle, it was kind of my, one of my first experiences, like feeling vulnerable. And when I think about you guys on bicycles and being people of color, that's like a double danger. It's like, you know, as a cyclist, you're vulnerable. But, you know, as we've seen time and time again, um, Black folks are vulnerable and and uh, you know, by the police, uh, just in general in society, uh, you know, we wanted to bring you guys on and and really talk about these issues and, and get your perspectives and, and uh, get a discussion going on on this situation. Jeremy, you as the co-founder of Black Kids on Bikes, you started that what ten years ago, was it?
0: Yeah, um, eleven years now, in two thousand and nine. Um, You know, a lot of us were doing some of the, you know, big rides around town and just weren't feeling very welcome, you know, on these rides, whether it's critical mass, you know, some of these deals where, you know, we're all just cyclists, but, you know, cycling in particular is, you know, one of those things where uh, people feel a certain ownership to it. And when they see somebody who doesn't look like their, you know, typical riders, they really, I don't know if they felt threatened with but they just definitely didn't feel welcoming. So what we decided to do was just, you know, start our own ride. And it's called the Freedom Ride. And if you go back on Facebook, it's the first ride is called the Freedom Ride. And Black Kids on Bikes was just kind of like that nickname that kind of went with it, you know. It's the Freedom Ride. It's those Black kids on bikes. So um, even though it has that name, the Freedom Ride is more indicative because it's open to everyone. Now, you know, we do have a, uh, you know, it's, it's mostly black people, it's mostly black and brown riders, but it was never built on an exclusive, like to exclude anyone, you know, it's always been inclusive. And so, you know, it was just like-minded people, as we say, exploring the city on two wheels. And so, you know, the point you bring up about being exposed and vulnerable, and Omo will be able to speak to this in a higher sense too, because not only are you vulnerable when you walk out of the house as a black person, You know, like you said, when you get on that bicycle, now you've put yourself in another category. You know, not only are you black, now you're also in the way of drivers, and you're also going to be having, you know, confrontations with people where a lot of them are in cars. They feel a lot tougher than you do all exposed on your bicycle. So it's definitely, you know, it just heightens the idea of what it is to be black in America. You know, anytime we're doing any activity, you're going to heighten, the natural you know the base level of the fact that we don't fit in here even though you know we clearly do at the same time a lot of people feel like we do not so when you're on the bike you're going to get a lot of cars you know the same thing our other cycling brothers and sisters go through but there's just an extra added level to it sometimes you know and then I've been fortunate I haven't been in a collision with a car but then now Omo can speak to what that's like you know, and. Just one thing real quick about Omo, man, she's been riding with us for a long time. She'll go into kind of her history, but she stopped riding for a long time, too. And it's one of those things where when people stop riding or they tell me that they're not interested in riding in the streets or they think we're crazy for riding in the streets, I cannot disagree with them. You know, it is dangerous to be on a bicycle in Los Angeles, period. You know, really have to, you know, keep about your wits. You know what I mean? But it brings so much joy and we have so much fun. You know, we've been doing it as a group and we get like power from each other to just continue that and and want to keep promoting that and and do other things like move on to the Freedom Ride, which is us providing free tune-ups and just trying to help people in our community feel more welcome to get on a bicycle, understanding that there's like-minded people like them that are out there. There's people who are willing to give them a hand and not try to rip them off like some of these bike shops are known to do. And just you know be that outlet in the community to say hey we're doing it if you want to do it come join us also no matter what you look like if you feel comfortable coming out with a group of black and brown people you're a brother you're an ally you're welcome Diane, you know this you've been riding with us since the beginning pretty much so you know that's what i would start off with and i'd love to see what Omo has to build upon that you know hey
4: what's up everybody um uh, well, uh, i've been riding with black people Bikes slash freedom ride since almost the beginning, I think since 2009, maybe 2010, right after I graduated college, um, I was over at the microwave in Santa Monica, building up a bike that I had bought off the Craigslist, and James Spooner was actually there, and he came up to me and he was like, hey sis, have you ever been on the group ride? And I was like, oh, what's that? That sounds cool. He's like, we meet at this time, this day, come through. And I think that first, ride was actually the Michael Jackson Memorial ride and I was not prepared <laughs> to go up sunset at all like I hope my bike was super heavy and I wasn't in shape at all but the thing I loved most about riding with KOB was that they had a principle of no rider left behind and I think it's really important to kind of like carry on that tradition even if you're on your own just like riding on the streets, like sometimes I'll be riding on the streets and I'll see somebody at the side of the road with a flat and I just can't help but like stop and like at least offer assistance because it's just like Jay Swift said, you are completely exposed out there. Like you don't have two tons of steel like surrounding you. And I can't speak to like what non-black drivers see when they see me. I don't know. I think I like to think I'm too fast for them to even know that I'm black. <laughs> and, I mean, I've had my I've had my situation rocked three times now. And every single time it's super traumatic, from witnesses to the driver themselves, even to the paramedics, to cops when they come to take a report. Like the only person who's really got you is like your lawyer, which, which you should get a lawyer if you're going to ride your bike. But I don't know. I don't
3: really want to go into what happened to me. But black red, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No. Thanks, Alma. I mean, I know of the one incident with that you and Beverly experienced on the. I think it was on the Sixth Street Bridge. Was it or um, yeah. a few years back? And that was a an attempted hit and run. It was almost a hit and run, but I think. um, I guess it was Beverly that maybe uh, was able to stop the driver or something like that. But Los Angeles is known as the hit and run capital of America, as far as I've read. And we have so many hit and runs here and it seems like, you know, they happen in every part of the city. It's, it's uh it's kinda wild. Um telling
0: everybody right now that the hit and run is the new drive by. We had drive by shootings here, we really don't have those really anymore. I mean that you know, you hear about stories here and there, but the hit and run, that's the drive by. That's and and you know, important what you just said. It's all over town. It's not just one part of town, it's the rich part of town, it's the poor part of town. It's you know, every single part of town sorry about that. It's the same situation. Yeah, it's like the the
3: culture of driving here has has gotten to this point where it's just like even, I mean, today I was driving, and I don't know what's going on, but I think people are getting back out on the roads right now back to normal. And there was just like a bunch of road rage happening today. And it was just sort of like, that's normal here. So
4: RIP to quarantine traffic. The whole reason why he was sort of riding again was because there was nobody. And now it's basically like it was as if there never was a quarantine. And when I do leave town, like I was riding bikes out in Chicago a couple years back. And a lot of folks were like trying to talk shit to me, being like, oh yeah, you know, out here we're worried about getting shot. And I'm like, okay, maybe in Chicago, you're worried about getting shot, but where I live, I'm worried about getting hit by want to kill somebody
3: and get away with it you should hit them with a car right it's, it's completely true um you know why don't we bring in um marty blunt and actually let's bring in Stephen um maria as well um well, welcome to the show guys so Stephen, Stephen's up in portland and marty you're um based in los angeles um marty is a mm-hmm. founding member and president of Major Taylor Cycling Club, Los Angeles, um, and you're committee chair of, of uh, committee chair and member of the Black Cyclist, which uh, I want to hear a little bit more about
5: that. Um, Marty, are you with us? Let's- yes, I'm with you. I was All right. sure you were finished. Thanks for the introduction. Um, yeah, Black Cyclists is really a loose knit uh, national organization uh, on social media, primarily Facebook. That promotes uh, matters of interest to black cyclists. It, like most things that I'm involved with, it has to do more with road bike riders. But, but it's by no de- no no means designed to be exclusive to the road bike community. And you know we're starting to see some involvement from mountain bikers and from the more casual urban rider. And we're hoping that some of the the younger, uh, for lack of a better definition, some of the fixed gear type crowd, critical mass, crowd, black kids on bikes, to uh, to get involved. And I see this whole uh, awakening that the George Floyd murder uh, sort of catalyzed as being a really useful opportunity if if we can seize it. Um, We have some built-in barriers, silos, if you will, even in the black cycling community, and I'll preface by saying I know I'm very, very light-skinned, but I'm black, so my experience as a black cyclist is not the same as it would be for Stephen or for Jeremy. So it would, it's, it's a different thing for me. Um, but when I'm with my club, none of that even matters, because when our club goes out and and makes a rider, does a rider, has an event. Um, What scene is the black faces? And then they ask you, who's Major Taylor? Or what is Major Taylor? And we say he was the first African-American world champion in any sport. Have you ever heard of him? And you can see their faces like, oh, man, I didn't want to get into all that. They don't necessarily want to have the conversation. The next question I want them to say is, well, why is your club named after him? So that I can really, really give them something. Uh, But it's like I have to take the opportunity to say, "Okay, you asked the question, so I'm going to do like the cops do. I'm going to slam my foot through that door and not let you close it. And I'm coming in whether you want me in there or not and try to have the conversation that way. Um, Not so sure how well a conversation like that remains with the person that hears it, but not my problem. I just want to maybe get it started. Maybe the next time they see somebody say something about Major Taylor or they see a black cyclist, they'll know a little bit more about us, at least.
3: Now, you've been writing for quite a while. You've been writing since, according to your bio here, since 1981.
5: So, In fact, I started writing uh, in an organized fashion with the South Bay Wheelmen in Torrance. And um, I didn't hide who I was. They were very welcoming. Uh, But the community was so much smaller then. You know, and uh, we rode together. Everybody protected everybody and it it wasn't until i started writing in my second cycling life in the late 2000s like 2009 2010 um after having moved back to los angeles from the deep south that um that i got my eyes kind of open to what what's really going on uh in los angeles and orange counties you know i can sit here and tell you um i mean i don't really have any stories and I, i checked with some of my friends and club mates about, you know, tell us how the police have caused you grief or hassled you or what kind of misunderstandings have you had with the police. And we ride thousands of miles individually all over Los Angeles and Orange Counties, everywhere, good neighborhoods, bad neighborhoods, East L.A., South L.A., Santa Monica, Westwood, wherever. And I I couldn't come up with any other than the usual misinformed cop. And Don, you know how this works. They don't know the law. Uh, and so they'll challenge us on our rights to be on the road. But we never felt like we were singled out any more than, than Big Orange or Lagrange or any other club would be singled out for, for not riding single file or not putting your foot down at a stop sign. But what we do receive is receive a lot of crap from motorists. The new drive-by, you know, uh, some of those I'm sure are accidental, careless, whatever, But a lot of them that we're experiencing, they're definitely intentional. They swerve in on you. They come up behind you when you can't hear them and hit the horn, waiting to see you swerve. Uh, They'll brake check us, Uh, and this other thing they like to do. Anybody familiar with the term coal rolling? Have you heard of that? Oh yeah. 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 This happened to us. (laughs) They'll roll up on you in a diesel truck, like one of the big lifted. Diesel trucks, they'll floor the engine and douse you in soot. And it's usually accompanied by that diesel horn blowing. And I have this on video twice that that happened. Um, And it's dangerous because, as you all know, if you're riding in a group, one rider swerves and you could have 10 people on the ground. And if you're going 18, 25 miles an hour and you're falling on concrete, you know, helmet. Yeah, right. It's not going to protect your collarbone or your face or your you know, eyeball or, or those kind of things, your your legs. Uh, and in fact, you could still end up with severe head injuries from it. And so, yeah, it is the new drive by. And the message is intentional and it's very clear. And I really, you know, our, our club, we've talked with other clubs, how do we prevent this from happening? We've asked the folks in white clubs, do they do this to you? And it seems to be a lot less frequent than it is uh, for us.
3: I've definitely been rolled cold. I didn't even understand what was happening when it, ha- when it happened, but it's not a cool Any, it's not in any way fun. It's like you're breathing in awful fumes and you can't see it's terrible. Um, why don't we bring in, I see Lula Carter and uh, Janae Etheridge and let's, let's bring in uh, Stephen Stephen Maria and, and uh get, get you guys on here. And, and really we're, you know, Nick and I are are looking to just provide our platform to, for you guys to discuss um, all of the issues. So, you know, I'm, I'm we're thankful to have Stephen and Janae uh, from Portland. I mean, you guys were talking about um, that you guys are actually starting a ride, um, starting to organize rides up there. I've ridden up in Portland and it seems a whole lot, more bicycle friendly up there. What uh, what are the challenges that you guys are finding up there as cyclists and as you know folks of color
6: on on bikes? Uh, Janae, you want to weigh in at all? Um,
1: Go for
6: it. Uh, yeah. Well, I think that that one of the bigger issues up in the Pacific Northwest is just feeling comfortable out on the roads um, because. I have spent several years living in Seattle before I moved to Portland. And the issues are very similar up there as they are here. And it was more of just feeling like I belonged on a bicycle out. I would go on a lot of group rides and I was the only uh, person with any melanin. Um, And, you know, I just tried to ride and hope that I'd find other people who were riding as well. And there were very few. Um, And fortunately Portland does have a pretty good, bike infrastructure, but I feel like there isn't really a, a solid community of, of, of brown folks on bikes, um, and if it is, it's really splintered and people are just riding on their own, uh, so I don't think people get to really benefit from riding with each other in groups, so that's where uh, the Black Liberation ride was was a big deal for me. That was one of the first experiences I had on the ride led by Janae last summer, uh, and I wanted to help make sure that it existed this summer so she can give a little bit of that history on that ride.
1: Uh, yeah, um, I want to echo Stephen and say, yeah, I mean, any, even now riding in Portland, if I see another black girl on a bike, it's kind of just like, screw it on, like, who are you? Can I get your Instagram? Like, can we connect? Because it's just like very rare. Um, and if for folks who don't know, Portland is the whitest uh, major city in the United States. So, um, you know, it's pretty common to feel like the only one, uh, if you're a person of color in Portland in most situations. Um, So yeah, my friend started the Black Liberation Ride, I think four, five years ago. And it kind of was for that reason, so we could have a bunch of us together. And it does make a statement when you're out on the road, not only to have all these people together on a bike, but have them all be black and brown is like you never ever see that in Portland. I remember going to LA and it was like a little more diverse, which is really cool. And the Bay Area too. Um, But um, that's where it started. And then I kind of took it over uh, for the next few years. It always happens on Juneteenth, uh, which is June 19th, which celebrates uh, basically Black liberation. It's like the day that the last American slave was free. So um, it's always on June 19th. Uh, It's always uh, for black and brown folks. I I understand that uh, some groups want to have things open, but this is like the one ride that we have that's like kind of for us uh, and people really get empowered after the fact. Uh, So um, in Portland, it seems like people do respect that because they do know that it's like there's a a lot of uh, racist history in Oregon, especially. So um, that's why uh, we have it. So, I mean, yeah, Stephen wanted to help this year and I was like, cool, yeah, like, let's do it. Let's start this ride. And then all the Black Lives Matter movement started happening and then we got way more attention than I was planning. I was like, okay, like 30, 40 people it's like a good amount. And now it's like over 300 RSVPs on Facebook and we're just like, okay, we need some help. (laughs) But it's a good thing. So um, I hope that a lot of folks who n- normally wouldn't ride in Portland, which is pretty safe, um, come out for this ride because there is there is definitely power in numbers, um, and a lot of folks get really inspired after the fact.
3: Let's let's bring on Lula Carter, who does a ride called Black Girls Do Ride, and that's um, in L.A. Or uh, actually, did I get that right? I'm sorry.
2: Actually, it's Black Girls Do Bike. Los Angeles. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no Sorry about that.
3: Uh, <laughs> no. So you're based in, uh, was it Lemur Park or,
2: or? No, I'm in Hawthorne, California.
3: Hawthorne, okay, cool.
2: But the, we have approximately 1,300 members. Um, even though it says Black Girls Do Bike, we are an organization that started out wanting to break the stereotypes of African-American women and exercising and cycling seemed to be one of the easiest ways to get women to do that. Um, so that's how it started. Whew, every year, well, when we were riding on a weekly basis, pretty much, we did we have six rides a week. We have a Monday after work ride, we have a Tuesday morning at the farm ride, which is around the farm. We would actually meet at 4:30 in the morning to go riding um wednesday also, yeah we have people that would actually come up at 4 30 in the morning and we do about 15 16 laps around the farm then everybody go home get dressed go to work (laughs) because during the summer they didn't want to be in the heat in the after work so we would do it in the morning and then we have the wednesday after work ride thursday was all back at the farm and then friday we would meet out at dock 52 and ride along the beach and then saturday was pretty much open So there are six rides a week for people that want to ride with us here in Los Angeles. Um, There's a lot of uneasiness right now being on the bike because we've had rides on one of our Wednesday rides, one of our Wednesday evening training rides where it was all women. We had a car follow us for like three miles um honking his horn just he wouldn't go around he, he just stayed behind us we were in a group there was about 15 of us and when we got to one of the stoplights he got really close to one of the girls bikes like he wanted to like hit her, run into the back of her bike so I rolled back to the back where it was and I'm asking him I don't understand what your problem is and he was like you guys shouldn't be out here you guys shouldn't be riding You guys need to be on the sidewalk no legally we can ride on the on the road sir know your laws because we do know the laws here in california so you need to go back to dmv and learn the laws because we're allowed to be on this road just like you are so we've experienced that that happened to us a couple times and then it was interesting because when i told some of the guys about it after that point they start riding with us on wednesday so we it wouldn't just be all women i figured they probably did that because they saw just all women but we never had a problem after that when the guys joined us understandably so <laughs> yeah it's um it's real how can i say this well like like jason was Jace, jeremy was saying earlier there are a lot of times when you start writing that you don't feel inclusive they kind of churn you to a, to the point where you feel like you don't want to be writing you kind of, kind of go off by yourself and ride solo because they're not including you. You find about, you find out about all the rides later after the fact. Even though they, they know you're a cyclist, they don't notify you ahead of time so that you can ride with them. And that was kind of one of the reasons when I was glad that I was able to start. Black girls do bikes because then we, I, we have more control over us as a, as a collective unit to be able to ride when and how and where we want it to and not have to rely on other clubs to give us that information.
5: Hey, Don, can I drip, uh, dip in for a minute?
3: Yeah, absolutely.
5: This is Marty. You know, Lula and I have shared a lot of rides together, um, and she is not telling you everything that they do with Black Girls you Bike L.A., <laughs> You know, when we talk about getting cyclists out there, we're talking about generally men. You know, we're usually talking about in that prime age, former athletes, a lot of times. Lula has taken women of a certain age who maybe never played a sport a day in their life, who maybe never thought about riding a bike until maybe the doctor said something, or maybe there was something going on in their lives and they were looking for a way to relieve some pressure or, or, or start a new chapter. Um, and that's what black girls do bike LA provide. And they bring in riders Lula brings in riders who know nothing about a bike. You say a down tube and they'll say, yeah, I'm down with a down tube. They don't, they don't know what a down tube is. They don't know any of that stuff. And so to get them out on a bike on the streets uh, and then have them face the kind of uh, story that she just told us about that angry motorist, it pisses me off. Because all you got to do is give a second to find out what somebody else is dealing with. What are they going through? How much of a delay is a group of cyclists really going to cause you in your ca- in your car that can go 40 miles an hour like that? So Lula, um, you know I love you. You know I appreciate what you do. <laughs> Uh don't be so modest. Let, let, <laughs> let people know what Black Girls do bike really works with and what y'all are doing, please.
2: Yeah, well we do. We do thank you, Marty. We do a lot. Um we also support a lot of the different um, causes that most people probably would just blow off because we also um we do monthly cancer rides. So whatever the cancer is for that month, we'll do a ride dedicated to that to that month. I also personally put on a cancer ride, which I'm happy to say Marty and his club has supported me in the past. Um, 2020 is out the books, we're gonna work on 2021. But I put on an actual cancer, a breast cancer ride. It turned, in, it started out as a ride with 20 people. And I think the before the last time when we had it over at John Anderson Park, we had a close to almost 200 riders that, la- that one time. Um, so it's growing. And I started that ride in honor of my mom and also a lot of the ladies that ride with me are cancer survivors. So they lead out the ride when we do the ride and when it's done with everybody being there. So yeah, we try to do a lot with the community and the funds that we raise during my cancer ride is donated to the Watts Watts Health Foundation. They only survive off of donations and they provide free mammograms. For women so that's why it's very important to me my mom was a breast cancer survivor i'm a breast cancer survivor so that's a very close thing to me so anytime there's anything to do with cancer we're out there supporting as a group um, of cyclists
3: now i see a whole bunch of ride leaders here right and my immediate thought is like portland los angeles what about how do we get a road trip going here? What uh, I want to see, you know, we, we as you know, I have a, we have midnight riders and, you know, I consider Black Kids on Bikes to be part of that um, and us part of them. But uh, we would go to Portland on these I'm road sure, trips and ride really with the good. folks up there.
2: <laughs> but I can and tell you we've even to taken see, our- like
3: a, a big <laughs> a big ride happen.
2: We've even taken our bikes to Jamaica. We've ridden in Jamaica. We've been to Atlanta to support the girls in Atlanta, the black girls bike in Atlanta for the um, diabetes association. We were the largest group to show up. We had the largest contingency there. Um, we've taken our bikes up north, Northern California. We've ridden in Fresno. In Fresno, they shut down the streets for us. To, they actually shut down the high, the freeway for us to ride on the freeway in, in uh, Fresno. we brought, we roll. We don't care where it is we're going. We got bikes, we will travel. No
5: problem. Hey, Major Taylor's there. We sent 38 people to uh, Baltimore for the, the last um, Seagull Century. We sent 25 or 30 folks down to Atlanta for the, for the One Love Century put on by Metro Atlanta Cycling Club. Um, we go to San Diego all the time. Got some great friends down in San Diego. Uh, welcome to Portland. Not a problem. <laughs> we'll be there. Hey, be we, careful what you ask for. I know, right? <laughs> we're to see Portland. We heard
0: about that infrastructure, and guess what? Um, we need a lot of help with our infrastructure. Our infrastructure <laughs> is horrible. time, We're out there mm-hmm. making happen um, to the people in Portland. I want to give you guys a lot of props because I feel exactly like when you're telling me the story about the scene in Portland and how you see other cyclists, and you you like, whoa, hold on, who are you? That is literally how we grew black kids on bikes. Like, like almost said in the beginning, it was, it was three of us. And we kind of knew different, you know, circles of people. So we brought what we could off the jump, but from there going forward, it's just, you know, there's a lot of black people. There's a lot of people of color here in Los Angeles who ride bikes. You may never see them. And that's the way it goes. Uh, Don was talking about this, uh, the George Taylor ride, that just happened this past weekend. We've been um, hosting rides out of Lemur Park for 11 years now. Uh, It's on Facebook. People kind of know it's the last Sunday of the month. We don't have to do a lot of promoting. People know it's the last Sunday of the month. Go and join these guys. Whoever's welcome. Beginners are welcome. Experts are welcome, whatever. We're gonna have a good time. We're gonna get some miles in. We're, We're gonna have a good time. But when we got to that ride, uh, this past Sunday, I think it was. There was so Saturday. many people on that yeah. was a Saturday. There was so many yeah. people there. It was a thousand. At least a thousand, thousand people. Because yeah. they li- I mean, and at the same time, there's an awakening, like Don said earlier, in people's consciousness right now. Because we've been on the COVID, people have been, you know, there's a lot of people out there doing their thing, but it's been a lot of people really um, adhering to the social distancing. So people have kind of been in a bubble. As far as our group rides, we didn't feel comfortable with meeting in Lemur Park. And, you know, I work in the health field. I kind of know what's going on with that more than the average person. As a leader, I didn't feel good bringing everybody together to go on a ride. You know, when, when you're on a bicycle, you're breathing heavy. You're going through a lot physically. You're out here, like Don said, you know, we're breathing in these fumes. So, we, what we did was come up with a thing called the social distance ride. So we encouraged every member of the ride to go and ride at the same time, but just by themselves and post up pictures. And people had a ball with that. And we've done that for three months already because, you know, since everything's been going um, at the tribute ride this Saturday, a lot of the members of our group were there. They've been itching to get back together as a group. And they were like, do we feel comfortable the last Sunday of this month? You know, so everyone's kind of got that feeling where, they're kind of ready to get back out there. But I just want to say to you guys in Portland, you know, you're hearing Lula, you're hearing Martin right now talk about how their groups are going to different countries and going to different cities. In the beginning, you don't see that that is even a thing possible, but it is for you guys. Like you said, you get that one person. Then the next month, like Omo, she has a circle of people. Now she's bringing in people. She's a captain in the organization. You know, like, I may be the guy that determines, hey, here's the dates, and I do the reminders. You know, we're in the King Parade every year, so I do the fundraising for that. I go and sit in the boring meetings so we can have that. But at the same time, if people didn't come out, it wouldn't matter what I was doing. But the fact that I'm doing those little things and just holding the little bit of organization that needs to happen, so that that big group can come together. And when we're riding through the city, we feel it, the people in the streets, they applaud and they're happy depending on which streets we go on, of course. They're happy to see us. They feel energized by seeing us. You know, we're at the gas station. People are coming up in their car. They're saying, how can I be down? We say, go to Facebook, man. We tired. Look, I'm here trying to get a little. We headed for some tacos and some beer right now. Don't say nothing. You know what I mean? Like, just really keeping it organic and that was growing. Then, you see where Lula is now? Her numbers, when I met her, because I met her, what, maybe like two years ago, Lula? Like, And I started, and I already knew about their organization. And Martin, too, I'm knowing you from Lynn and so many people telling me who these people are. And Don, you know, a lot of us, we see each other on the bike, but unless you sit there and have a cup of coffee, you don't really get to chop it up with them. But as you can see, we're different groups in LA, all kind of got a different pull, but still are in that same vein, you know what I mean? And look at the cog in the middle of the wheel. This dude, Roblox, you know, he's just like in the middle of all the fun. But the thing is, man, just keep growing it slow and keep just making it what you want it to be and control those reins yourself. That's when you feel good and you start to, like, your group is going to determine where you guys go from there. You know what I mean? Like, we started providing these free tune-ups in the park, not because that was our grand idea, but because we wanted to stop having flat tires and chains come off one mile into the ride. So we started saying, Look, one half an hour before we ride, we're gonna check. And then all of a sudden, people in the park started coming, Hey, can you help me? So we said, You know what? Let's dedicate two hours before the ride. Let's bring our tools. We've been doing that already three, four years already. Every month we're doing it. You know what I mean? So the group is gonna decide, and like minded people, they just come out. And then the, so it just grows. And then you feel inspired by the people who keep coming. Like I'm saying well, Omo, she's inspiring me. She took a break off of the bike. And as I would see her at Ciclavia and I would see her not riding, she's my sister and I love her and I want to go over there and talk to her. And I want her to be riding, but at the same time, until she feels comfortable with doing that, you know what I mean? So when she got back on, it re-energized me again. Like, look at her, you know what I mean? And I'm seeing her on Strava and I'm seeing other riders brand new to the game, you know, because it's intimidating. You tell them, let's go on a group ride. And they say, how far are you going? And you just don't even tell them. You say, look, <laughs> don't worry about that. We're going to have fun. And then when you get done and you tell them they did 23 miles, it blows their mind. Because they thought maybe they could do 10. They just pulled a 20. You know what I mean? Like, they might go home and ice their legs down and not be much tomorrow. But they're going to feel energized. And they're going to come back next month, too. You know what I mean? So I just want to inspire you guys to just keep on pushing. and we're gonna come up there and see that clean infrastructure too, you know what I mean?
1: Definitely come and visit because uh, yeah, any any melanin on the streets we appreciate. <laughs> uh, I also wanted to mention, um, I went on the Seattle to Portland, Portland bike ride uh, this last summer, and I did not see one other black woman of the thousands of people who do that ride. So, I mean, that's inspiration in itself. Is like, I just want to see people that look like me on the road. Um, yeah, and I also want to shout out Black Girls Do Bike Portland, run by Kionda. Like, they're out in Portland too, doing their thing. Like, Kionda's holding it down and they actually had a ride a few days ago and it had like 2,000 people at the ride or something. So um, I appreciate the other groups in Portland that are doing stuff already um but we are definitely excited to see where
2: this goes and i can say for us right now because we i'm not comfortable doing group rides at the present because i'm a double high risk i'm in a double high risk category so i'm not really feeling being out there with all these people not knowing where they've been and who they've been around i'm just keeping it real so i've been hosting virtual rides via zoom We do virtual rides on Monday, Wednesday, and Monday night at 7, Wednesday night at 7, and Saturday morning at 9. And the ladies are there. A lot of them had to get trainers. A lot of them had stationary bikes anyway. So that's another way that even though we're not physically in each other's presence, we're still riding together via Zoom. I've made playlists for us and everything. That's how we spend our Monday, Wednesday, and Saturdays until we can all gather together and roll together safely
3: i love that i love that that's amazing i've been able to ride with uh with my my phone camera pointing out uh from my handlebars i are you talking about actually getting on the road and and having like people do separate rides or are you plus trainers or is it all trainer
2: no everything's on trainers you're either on a trainer or on a stationary bike and we're all zooming together and we just ride together and listen to music and chit-chat. And that's what we do for an hour. <laughs> oh, be- <laughs> you
3: no,
0: know, we, we got to do Roblox thing now. We got to put the phone on the front of the bike. <laughs> zoom going, <laughs> no doubt.
4: Hey, uh, Don and Nick, actually, I have a question for y'all that speaks to, I think, your expertise when it comes to, like, legalities and hmm. that. So uh, I'm going to keep it real brief. Last week, I was in a small social distance group, riding, and like you no know, more than three or four people, and we were out like uh, I think in Santa Monica. And she, long story short, some guy in an Audi uh, tried to like uh, basically harass my homegirl, You know, ran up on her bumper, uh, screaming at her, cussing at her, and called her said that she had an undeveloped brain, all sorts of, like, dog whistle racist stuff. So, our homeboy has a front and a rear camera, he got a screenshot, we have the car, but we can't get a license plate, but we do have a timestamp, and we have the cross, what's our name?
5: Uh, <sighs> there is was... an anti-harassment law, and there's a three-foot uh, cushion law. Mm-hmm. So, it sounds like both of those were violated. Yeah. The, uh, the
3: anti-harassment ordinance is in Los Angeles City. I don't know if Santa Monica has that, but if the okay. car lunged at you, you know, technically that's assault. You know, it's like A-W. as though yeah, as as though somebody swung a bat close to your head, that's still uh, you know, assault. They don't have to make a make contact. Now getting the idea of the driver, I, I think what you're kind of getting at is is like, is there a way to trace the, the car based on the timestamp, you know, like maybe like some kind of mobile phone tracing or something like that? Is that what you're saying, Omo?
4: Or even just like um, traffic camp footage or something because I'm checking it right now. and This is Marina Del Rey. very oh, okay. Intersection. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a hotel right there and everything.
3: So there has to be camera. Right. And if it, it I think Marina Del Rey is Los Angeles. Yes, it is. If I'm not mistaken. So then there is the cyclist anti-harassment ordinance. Um, you can, under that ordinance, sue civilly uh, for damages. I think it's a $1,000 that you can sue for damages. And there are cycling lawyers that would take that up. You'd have to identify the driver if you went back to the hotel and got the plate. There is, there are ways to dig through the DMV and get to a person's identity or at least the owner of the car. It's going to, it's really difficult to do. Um, Well, you know what, you know what happened with that, uh, that dog walker in central park. I mean they just posted the video and they found her
7: really quickly and that was all yeah, that needed you, to happen.
3: Do you have m- moving footage with audio? Is there I mean cuz you know that's the other way to go is just we could post it to the internet and let the internet figure yeah. it out maybe.
4: I could follow up with homeboy but I'm not I don't want to say too much on the internet.
3: Sure, okay. sure. <laughs> yeah. We we can talk about it offline, no You know I'm almost down to talk about that stuff. So um, there's yeah, doing it through you know the the police or the government. They don't uh, they don't want to spend time on that. You know, if nobody got hurt. Um, I mean, even going through my case where I was hit and left in the middle of the road hit and run i had to hound the shit out of the city attorney to do anything um even though i got the plate and all this stuff so i seen firsthand even you know when you get hit they still don't care that much so if you can get the hotel footage if if the if the video is compelling enough and it could go viral you may be able to snoop out this person is just based on the number of eyes on the internet that could see it um that'd be interesting you know
5: hey uh don Mm smarty when we got uh last time we got coal rolled a rolled coal on it was in uh delflower lakewood area and i had it on camera uh with the license plate and everything and i called the police and they flat out refused to come out if nobody was hit I said, yeah, but they swerved at us. It was only cycling skill that prevented us from being injured. Well, if nobody was hit, we're not going to send anybody out. They wouldn't look at the video. I said, I'll come to you and bring you the video. Zero interest. So it is a tough, it's always tough. It's always Yeah, in
3: those those cases, um, you know, you can, I don't know how those little small town police organizations work, but at least for the LAPD, um, from what, in my experience, you 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 just have to be like, you have to go into the station and if they give you the runaround, it's like, oh, let me talk to your watch commander. There is some value in filing complaints. I've done that on officers and um, they, you know, it's more paperwork for them. They don't like it. Um, I filed a complaint against an officer who swerved at me in, the bike lane I yelled at him he uh, pulled over the passenger side officer threw open his door I almost got doored they put me up against the wall cuffed me put me in the back gave me a bunch of grief and I filed a complaint And like a year later I get a call from I think it was the city attorney I can't remember but um, it was another this officer was involved with another case And they wanted me to be a witness against the officer um, in an arrest that he made. And I came down and I, I became a witness and they dropped the case against this person um, based on that. I showed up to be a witness. And uh, so that did have an effect, you know, there it's, it always seems like it, it doesn't have any effect or that they didn't, you know, but there are little things that, that you can do to uh you know to harass the cops back to get their attention to cause them more paperwork, you know, for what it's worth. So
0: I think the thing that's important here is you did everything the law says we can do, and they do have these laws on the books, but look what even you, a white guy, had to go through in order for the justice to work. You know? So you know, we haven't had a lot of trouble with the concert either. One, because we police ourselves as a group. We don't need them. You know, we don't have a bunch of kids while in doing willies and oncoming traffic. You know, like, it's Black kids on bikes, but we're definitely, like, uh, it's a range of ages, but everyone is mature, and we try to make sure that at the end of the day we can go home, you know. So we want to be safe. We don't advocate running red lights, you know. We, we, we stick to the laws and, we, you know, when someone in our group or maybe they're new or they haven't really ridden with us, kind of show them the culture of what we're trying to do, which is obey the laws, be safe, have fun and go home. But there has been those times when the cops have pulled up on us and, you know, leadership has had to step up and, and be willing to have these conversations with them and also know who in the group doesn't need to be next to the police officer and send them on up there while I take care of it over here. You know, like these are some of the things that we need to know. When you're riding with somebody, it's cool when you just meet them on the street, but then when you get out there and something happens, a car swerves, do they wanna get the bike lock out their pocket and go chase them down and smash the window out at the next light? We don't need that because we're gonna be in the wrong. It's a group of black cyclists. It's not that hard to know who we are. You know what I mean? It's not hard to target us for other things going on. So we have to be in charge of that ourselves so that we don't really have these interactions. Um, one of the most memorable interactions with the LAPD came in a time when it shouldn't have happened at all. Like I said, we're in the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. parade every year and one year in the parade we you know, we gather our money as a group and we pay our entry into the group. Now what our group does is pay for the entry for the cyclists. And then we invite all the cyclists to come on our dime. But when they come, we ask them to abide by you know, what we want to do. So we, we've done this for years. Um, and I remember one year in the parade, the police officer wants to know who's the organizer of this. You know, the people point him my way. He comes over and says, I want to see your paperwork. You know, he wants to see our paperwork and how we got into this parade that's already in its 20th year. It's a well oiled machine, <laughs> you know, to a certain degree. We have our paperwork. He pulls me over in the middle of the parade and, and makes me produce the paperwork, which I do, I keep calm. Of course, other members of our group are living. Who would ever even think of asking a participant in the parade if they have a permit for it? No parade organizers are saying, hey, who are these people, none of that. So we had to go through that. Luckily, you know, I'm from Indiana. We had to learn at an early age, you stay calm when you're dealing with the police. Your feelings are not your friends, as my mom would always say. So I stayed calm, produced the paperwork. He reluctantly get let us go on about our way and we did. And We were celebrating Martin Luther King, peaceful, the whole thing, right here in the middle of that. You know, we got to produce some paper. So the whole point is we really have to keep each other as riders calm and keep each other knowledgeable on the laws as well to to make sure that we're having a good time out there because it's just uh, high elevation for us just walking out the door. And then, like we said in the beginning of this, you get on the bike, it only amplifies. You get a group. Don't get 30 or 40 black people that are not in cycling kits. Now that's a – I don't know where these guys are going or what they're doing, and we need to know. So, you know, a lot of those things we have to take care of and, and know that these things are going to happen and be prepared when these things rear their heads and make sure we do the – excuse me, the right thing, you know?
5: Hey, uh, Don and, and Nick, I don't know how much time we have left. Um, do we have a few minutes? Yeah, yeah we 7.15. Yeah. Minutes. We got more guests coming, but we can keep going. I, yeah, I, I thought I was hoping maybe we could have a little bit more discussion about the George Floyd ride for justice out of Lemert Park last Sunday. That'd be OK. Yes, yes sir. Let's do it. Do You mind if I make a couple of comments. OK, um, you know, it, the, I know the organizers had less than a week to put that thing together and what they did was absolutely amazing. Um, I was struggling to find information about it. I saw it on Facebook. It disappeared. You know, once stuff bubbles down, it seems like it's impossible to find. But luckily, it popped up again um, in my feed late Friday night, and I was able to uh, get it together Saturday and be there. Uh, because my club is, is not promoting rides, we, we didn't really publish the event. We tried to let Individually, I guess, people were communicating with each other. We ended up with, uh, I don't know, 15 people maybe, Don. I think you might have seen us out there. But what really impressed me was, and it kind of goes to what Jeremy was talking about, the organizers set the tone. Yes, it was a passionate day, and they didn't do anything to diminish our passion. In fact, they encouraged us to be passionate. They encouraged us to remember what we were there for. Um, But it was all about change. You know, it was all about honoring George Floyd and not letting his death be just another statistic that we forget about the next time there's an incident or something else takes its place on the evening news. And they really built us up to feel like we are a community. And I said earlier, we were not all the same. Even among the the black cyclists and the brown cyclists, we were not the same. We had age differences. We had road bikes. We had uh, the kids on the fixies. We had kids on broke down mountain bikes. We had kids riding with mama on, on old stingrays, you know, and we got out there and these are groups that, you know, roadies kind of look down their nose sometimes, you know, and then the younger kids, they don't want to have fun on their bike. They're having fun and having a really good time. They're comfortable with each other. You know, they'll pop a wheelie, but they're not the kind that go into traffic. They just pop a wheelie and go down and, You know, spin the handlebars and everything's cool. So in that ride, we take off and we've got the LAPD giving us uh, an escort. But we also had a couple of officers, kind of like in utility clothes, uniforms, actually on the bikes with us. And they're riding along with us. They're just trying to keep the pace right and keep us from riding on the wrong side of the line. But in the middle of this, you've got all these road cyclists and quite a few white cyclists from the white club, right? white road clubs had come out. And the young kids, and some not so young, wanting to have fun on their bikes. And I'm thinking at any minute, some road rider is going to say something snotty to one of these kids, hold your line, you know, stop doing wheelies, hey, you cut me off. And I'm just waiting for that to spoil the ride. And it never happened that I'm aware of. And, yeah, I had some guys come by me and pop a wheelie and cut around, but they didn't cut me off. These guys know and ladies know what they're doing on their bikes. And I said, if they're comfortable with each other, why can't I be comfortable with them? And and that was that, that feeling is still with me. And I, I look like somebody said, what are we gonna do? You know, what you call this you call this meeting today, uh, this gathering, Black Rides Matter. If you don't mind, I would like to say Black Riders Matter. I don't, I don't know that there is such a thing as a black ride, but I know there's black riders and I know we matter and I know we have something to offer our own community. And if the other communities would just listen, we've got something for them too. So I see this as a really great opportunity because of the work uh, that the organizers did and the way that the two, all the different groups uh, accepted each other. So the question I'd like to put out is, if you're there or not there, what do we do? Uh, Dave Chappelle's got a, a new a new uh, show he put out. He he did a concert somewhere uh, in the park, just a little thing, and he said that they they're getting on his case. Where's the celebrities? The celebrities aren't talking. He says you don't need to hear from me. The streets are talking. The streets are saying it way better than I can say it. And so we're the streets too. I think that's where we do our thing. So I'm just going to toss it out there. Where do we go from here? And how do we unite? In Los Angeles, and how do we help Portland? You know, how does Portland give us advice on what they're doing that we can use? Well, uh, how do we reach out to San Diego? Any thoughts? I'd, I'd like to hear some.
4: So, I moved out to South LA a couple of years ago, and when I moved there, I wasn't riding still. I still had my bike, but you know, it was like kind of rusty web stuff. And while I was living there, my home or my, the road of my home, where my home is, got a road diet. And if you don't know what a road diet is, they turned a four-lane street into a two-lane street with a bike lane, Which actually happened at my old place, too, so I felt like it was kind of a sign. And then the quarantine happened. I noticed that there was nobody driving. I'm like, okay. And then, so I started riding again. And I discovered this bike path. I don't know if Twift, Martin, or Lula, if you're familiar with Compton Creek. I love Compton Creek. But it is so it's neglected, it's yes. ill-maintained. Like there are little pockets of just, where you just have to dip off because there's just so much trash and glass and there's people hanging out in there and they jump out and get you like it's it's crazy. And so I've taken different routes that, um, off of Poppy Creek and also over to Hermosa Beach, all these different routes off of Google and Strava. And because I'm an experienced cyclist, I can figure out like, you know, what's actually safe and what the government has said is safe. And the next time they have a city council meeting for my area, I'm planning on showing up, whether it's virtual or in person. I'm going to ask them, who is the team that designed these routes for South LA? And why don't they want black and brown people to safely ride their bike?
5: Major Taylor will support that.
4: So I might make like a cute little
5: Facebook event or something because I should okay be- definitely. I want to add into that. Um,
0: so a lot of these issues that we're, that we go through as black riders, as bike riders, and as uh, you know, people coming from overlooked and neglected communities, it, it falls into the vote. you know we, we got to weaponize the vote much better than it's being used now. Um, lula and i both for you know we're up here in uh council district 10. so you know we just had elections in march for that so you know on what can we do this is what we decided to do we got together uh with a guy who rides with us and black kids on bikes named michael mcdonald he has an organization called Bike the vote if you're not familiar go on facebook and check out Bike the vote and what that organization does is They kind of vet politicians and their policies and let cyclists know who's down. And so for CD10, when these different candidates were running, a group of us cyclists got together and set up interviews with all of the candidates to see, hey, what are you going to do about it? You know, and so uh, we met with the eventual winner, although we weren't really – we weren't too optimistic on what he was willing to do, and we, but he did sit down and listen to us. You know, he spent time, and we went in there, and we, you know, told him about what was going on for us. And um, we met with every candidate. Each candidate had different ideas. Even some of those candidates now, by going through those interviews, are working with each other because they found out, you know what, I got a good idea. This person has a good idea. I'm running against them. That doesn't mean we can't work together. So I think the cyclists had a part in getting some of these, bringing some of these things together. And that's the great thing about that bicycle. It really does bring people together from no matter, you know, even what Martin was saying right now, which about that ride, and you're so right, what was so beautiful is the roadies, the fixie riders, the kids, the family people, people just get on the bike. And even though they kind of come from this different way of approaching it, you put that to the side and get to what's real. And I think if we can kind of turn that into like getting people to understand that, yes, that's a big part of it. But the next part of is the policy is there a lot of times, but not the right people to enact those policies on our behalf. So we really got to vote some people in that are going to take some of these laws that are already on the books and make them work for us. Like Martin, like you say, we shouldn't have to be the detective. But the reality is what Don is telling you or Omo is telling you, if you want something to happen, you've got to be the detective. You've got to run it all the way to basically you're giving it to them at the one-yard line and they can cross it over and feel good about themselves. You know what I mean? But that's not – you know, that's – Totally, totally. That's not our job. But, you know, they don't even want to take your car. We've had a lot of – especially in L.A., one thing that we run into a lot here is trouble with bus drivers. Bus drivers are notorious for cutting us off, getting in front, brake checks. I mean, a lot of trouble, you know. And, you know, one of our members, Tony Key, was in an accident because of it. He keeps the fly cam front and back. He had all the info. The the driver's interaction on tape, everything. But he still had to jump through fire, swim through sharks, and make it happen for anyone to even – take it up and really look at it seriously. So, you know, we got to get somebody in there that's willing to push our policy and fight on us, you know, fight for us. So I think one thing that we need to do really, especially with this election coming up, no matter who you want to vote for, just get out there and vote. You know what I mean? Because clearly the people who have something to protect, they're negotiating the vote to make it so that it works for them. So, you know, as long as we can all go there and put that one ballot in, we got to get each other really... Off, you know, even if we're making bike rides to the ballot or getting people educated to know that they can do it by mail, whatever, but that's, you know, getting the awareness is one thing, but getting someone to care about that is the next kind of missing step for us, I think.
3: So, uh, Stephen and Janae, how are you getting people to care up in Portland? I'm
1: with the, you, got a, you got a ride coming up?
6: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, first, the first thing that we have is uh, the, the Juneteenth ride, the, the Black Liberation ride. And that's just, right now, just kind of like a first step. Um, I just feel like in general, uh, when that ride existed last year, that was one of the best moments that I had when I first got to Portland. And it, it was a very unique experience because I never was on the road with so many people who looked like me before. And I kind of want to keep the momentum going now because a lot of people are paying attention to bikes and paying attention to creating a sense of community. So trying to keep that moving. Uh, we're, we're trying to get like a, a group together uh, to keep rides going all year and just have that progress and hopefully have a core group of people that want to come out. And I think that if we have that there, people will be able to, to just know where to go or know who to talk to. Um, and not just have to wait uh, for for basically our bike month up here, um, and that be their only option. What do you think, Janae?
1: Um, it's hard to say what exactly we're modeling that's like different than LA because Portland and LA are just they're all, they're on the West Coast, but pretty different cities. Like Portland is a lot smaller, way less spread out. Um, I feel like our like. uh uh, legislators are all just like pretty uh left-leaning already so i feel like bike advocacy is really easy to get passed in cities like that Uh, same with seattle um so it's hard to say like what exactly you can like folks can do in other cities um, just because I—it's hard because I—I only know really Seattle, and Portland, and I definitely I've ridden in L.A. and Chicago and other cities, and I'm like, wow, the cars uh, act a little more aggressive here. Um, so I think it's—it's—I uh, mean that's all I can say is yeah, power and numbers. Like find a group. I feel like once I got my dad on the road, I was really making progress because I never thought I would get my dad to ride a bike in Portland, and yeah, here we are. So diversity, not just in color, but yeah, age, class, uh, all kinds of backgrounds. So,
6: Yeah. So yeah, I think that in general, especially out here in Portland, with the demographics in mind, just being together out on the roads is a statement all in itself. Um, we do have the infrastructure here, but I don't think that it's being used by uh, our communities as, as much as it could be. And I think that for this, for this city, um, being able to have people together uh, and come together and be on the road and on bikes is a is a big statement in itself. But I do think that having people voting for for different policies and keeping people aware of what those options are is a good way to keep progressing. And then also just connecting with other cities as well in different events and trying to support them because if we can slowly have people uh, connect across the entire country and I mean that's a good end goal to have and it's going to just take you know people just supporting each other's events and going to each other's cities so
1: and also understanding the role of bike lanes in gentrification and how neighborhoods can really be affected by like um, economic prosperity when a bike lane enters a neighborhood so making sure you know like the folks that are in that neighborhood are able to embrace more like cyclists in their, on their street and in their neighborhood. Cause I think that has been uh, a big topic in Portland too, because gentrification is a big issue. Like most you know, cities.
3: Yeah. Speaking of other cities we have, and, and we want to bring everybody with us to uh, New York. Um, we've got, Armin Rosen, who's a journalist and a uh, victim of N- NYPD bike theft at a protest. And uh, Ben Fiebelman, who's a photojournalist and a retriever of snatched bikes from the NYPD. In the protests out there, NYPD is confiscating bikes. So these guys are kind of uh, heroes on the street because they're rescuing the bikes at the NYPD uh, abandons, or you know, they'll they'll arrest the protester, and the bike gets left behind. So, um, uh, everybody, let's uh, welcome Armin and Ben, and uh, let's continue this conversation. These, these protests are everywhere. These these protests are around the world. So this is this is pretty amazing to uh, kind of connect the West Coast and the East Coast here. Um, ben and Armin, are you there? Yep. Right here. Great to be on again.
7: My first time.
3: Yeah. Okay. We, we've got, a, we've got folks from LA and we've got folks from Portland and uh, we've been talking about, um, you know, issues with, there's kind of a, I mean, we've got these protests going on now. I think we're in our third week and um you know, New York's another scene where there's just a ton of activity and uh, it's inspiring, but it's also, you know, obviously uh, scary, you know, like we, <laughs> you guys were on live last week and we saw bikes being, uh, protesters being arrested and bikes being abandoned. Tell us a little you bit. In the context. middle
7: of interviewing him while yeah. someone's bike was getting stolen right in front of us?
3: Yeah, it was wild. Wild. <laughs> the, the cops were taking, were arresting people, and then bikes were just being abandoned, and you guys were actually retrieving them. So that's that was yeah. quite compelling footage.
8: And, and that that situation had, I guess, what you could call maybe like a little bit of a happy ending because we uh, apparently the people who were arrested that night were released about three hours later. Um, I don't think any of them were charged with anything, but you could see in the moment, it was obviously terrifying for the people being led away. Um, and it was just this, this absolutely brutal scene. Uh, certainly at the time that 20 people, 30 people were getting led away to paddy wagons. They kind of had no idea how the ordeal would end. Um, but my understanding from people who were there and who were arrested, well, was that they were, they were released uh, not too long afterwards. Um, not that that's any, total consolation necessarily um that's also one of the last kind of mass arrests of protesters that's taken place in new york since then uh things have de-escalated to a great degree since then uh the last night of the curfew was i believe last sunday
7: right the, um, the, and the, the curfew yeah. itself is its own just it's it's bait because yeah. it, it uh I, armin had said to me that it just it creates the the mere act of going outside becomes uh, an act of defiance and civil disobedience. And it doesn't take much to take a step outside, especially in your own neighborhood on your own doorstep.
8: And and interestingly, since then, the protests have become a lot more bike based. Uh, Monday night, there was a a protest ride uh, for black lives matter where there were at least, I think the police estimated there were somewhere between two and 3000 cyclists there uh, we went over every single East River Bridge in traffic. Um, really remarkable. And there have been kind of similar events the past few nights as well. Although I think they've they've been getting progressively smaller, but Monday night was huge. It was a, just a massive, you know, just quite, quite a, quite a sight to see and amazing thing to participate in as well.
3: So that's a big number for cyclists.
8: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, they just, they all gathered at Grand Army Plaza at like 6 PM or something like that. And, just started going down Flatbush Avenue, uh, without any plans, certainly without any permits or anything. Uh, there were barely any cops. Um, like for a lot of these marches, there have been cops both at the front and at the back. Uh, nothing like that on Monday that I could see. It was much, much more of a freer kind of feel. Um, and yeah, it was like 2,500 cyclists just going straight up the ramp onto the, under the Williamsburg bridge. Um, I know, like I, I turned to a friend who I was with, and I was like, "We're never going to get to bike on the Williamsburg Bridge ever
3: again." Like this is our one shot at it. Uh, um, but it, I mean, other rides, other yeah. rides out there looking—you know—are they looking diverse? Is it? Is there a lot of participation from from uh, you know all of the communities, or what? What are we looking at out there?
8: Uh, I, I'd say they're a bit a bit wider, but on these uh, on any of these marches or any of these rides uh there's like a tremendous amount of support from pretty much anyone who happens to be on the sidewalk or driving in opposite lanes of traffic or uh you know there there is a, a sense of inclusion to it uh you know even if the cyclists themselves might skew more of the younger kind of gentrifier class perhaps one could say but it you know it didn't You know, they don't feel like exclusionary events in any in any way and certainly after all the months of quarantine they had kind of a festive feel to them, in a a sense and and especially after weeks of cops targeting cyclists it was a kind of a a gratifying change to see that they're no longer being held as as, uh, as much of a threat.
7: Well, yeah, and it's not clear whether or not the cops were treating the bicycles themselves as the threat. It seemed like that was the way that uh, they kind of framed it. But if yeah. that were the case, I mean, which, you know, was part of the reason that they could theoretically justify, uh, I don't know, knocking Armin to the ground and beating him yeah. most efficiently. <laughs> uh, yeah. but you know, if if you have contraband, if you have a weapon, it gets confiscated, it gets uh, entered into evidence, it gets treated like any other piece of equipment that uh, is taken into custody by the city. And uh, no, it is as Armand had written in his piece that this is dispossession for purely like malicious purposes. Yeah. And you can see that. Um, I, let's see what the, the site is that had just written about Armin getting his bike snatched yesterday at Bedford and Bowery. Uh, They just wrote about it. And, you know, when you get to the point where, you know, we watch the guy uh, get arrested and we, you know, don't want to hassle the cops too much. So you ask them, hey, do you mind if we, you know, rescue this guy's bike It's just getting left here. Um, And the cop says, if you do that, you're going with him.
3: Yeah. Now, Stephen and Janae, are you guys going for the uh, the Juneteenth ride? The, are you guys going to be working with uh, the city, with the police, or are you guys doing this uh, without permits?
6: Or how how is it going to work for you guys? Uh, I I don't think that we need permits at all, do we? I don't think so. Um, yeah, we're not. We're definitely not getting the city involved, and uh, definitely not. There's no, no police involvement at all either. Um, because of the infrastructure here, a lot of bikes, uh, the big groups can get away with taking streets downtown with no issue. Uh, Portland residents are pretty used to that kind of stuff. So they'll be out a light and then all of a sudden people will cork the intersection and then they'll sit there for five, ten minutes watching a parade of people roll by. Uh, so we're kind of taking advantage of that. And the, there's a, a June event here called Palooza, where there are a lot of different bike events every every day. Uh, so people kind of know that that's just a thing that happens during the month of June here. Uh, and we're, wow. just, we're just taking advantage of that. So,
3: Yeah, I mean, Portland is the superior
7: bike city uh, in, in that they way. Would, right? They would say that. I'm from Salem uh, originally. so (laughs) I was wondering what was going on on the West Coast.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hear that um, Minneapolis has a great bike scene um, in other cities, but I haven't experienced anything that's like Portland, at least. I would say pretty similar.
3: Yeah, I got to say the same thing about Portland. It's like I've gone up there several times with bike groups. And uh, it's always just a joy to ride around in Portland. You guys have it great up there. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah,
3: I mean, yeah. The,
1: the cars really just give you a lot, of, like the bus situation, I was like, oh, wow. I think the buses in Portland know that like they have to give um, space, but I think it's because there's been so many past accidents that they uh, keep more, more space and cars also give you a lot of space. Um, to me, sometimes it's a little, because uh, we're supposed to be treated like cars, right? Kind of, um, but sometimes it builds traffic like the Portlandia sketch. It's like real life <laughs> um, where traffic just builds because people just get, make way for cyclists and pedestrians.
6: There was a, a bus incident that was a little different. Uh, we went on, there was a bike ride uh, hosted by Black Girls Do Bike Portland. Uh, they did a, a giant let's ride and there was one intersection where there was a bus that that blocked the whole road it was a you know a two-lane one-way but they just like swerved across the road just to make sure that no cars could go past, and they were like cheering us on as well and i feel like that's a very <laughs> specific thing when you when uh, you were
3: describing that i was like a bus driver blocked your ride like that no, no like no. something that <laughs> would happen sure that
6: no cars could come and mess with us and I just feel like, in general, uh, when I see people, when I'm rolling through an intersection that's corked, they usually have their phones out, and they're like, look at all the people rolling by. Um, so, you know, another giant ride up here is the the the, the naked bike ride. That one's really popular. Oh, but wow. I'm, last year, there were thousands and thousands of people, and people just, just knew. They're like, oh, I shouldn't have left my house tonight if I wanted to drive somewhere because I'm never going to get through. So... If you're not an emergency vehicle, people are just pretty tolerant up here. So that's a good thing, at least.
8: Yeah, kind of the opposite in New York. (laughs) (laughs) Bus drivers don't care. The taxi drivers consider you to be their mortal enemies in some respects. Everybody
7: hates you. (laughs) Yeah,
8: I mean, like the the bike lanes themselves are chaos. I mean, that's kind of part of the fun of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, Part of what makes it kind of terrifying rather frequently as well um well you and, ride a uh, bike with
7: no brakes
8: well no i do have <laughs> brakes but they don't they don't really work that that's right well.
7: <laughs> i had to ride his bike yeah. home and that was a learning right. experience with me because my experience with bikes i'd never ridden a fixie i'd never ridden a bike where if you lose control of the pedals you lose control of
8: a lot mm-hmm. and uh, i was sold on them they're good they accelerate quickly which uh which is helpful when you're getting stalked by a bus or something, which happens like literally wow. every time I leave my apartment on my bike in some form or another. Well,
7: years uh, ago so, I used to yeah. be a heavy rider in Salem and and uh you know, with all the like the multi gears and the Shimano brakes and all that. And I one thing I had no one had ever tried to sell me on fixies was they're silent. They're just hypnotic. Yep. You're you're one with the road and that part's impressive. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I've, I've ridden in New York a few times, and I just found the middle of this the street was like the best place to be because these cab drivers do not give a f- flying fuck about you. So. No, and you'll get doored.
7: <laughs> you'll get doored real fast uh, yeah. by somebody. And once you've cut it close, or you've even been in a cab and you've, you've cut it close, you start like opening the door and like really seeing like is yeah. it safe?
3: Is it safe yet?
7: And then you leap out because you never know when someone's coming. And
3: thanks for the report from New York. This is pretty amazing. We have Portland, New York, and Los Angeles all on the Zoom at the same time. I want to see all of your groups unite somewhere, and I want to like sort of stalk the ride or something. If I'm not allowed <laughs> on it, and uh, <laughs> just just participate. I don't know. Um, I love riding on Black kids on bikes the BKOB rides are some of the funnest rides ever because everybody's just down to earth and just cool. And we end up at Jay Swift's crib a lot of times and we get to talk about things and, and, uh, it just is the most fun. Um, but anyways, uh, we're, we're going over on the show and I know everybody's it's a Friday night. I guess we don't really have anything to do because of this COVID shit, but, um, <laughs> I uh, appreciate everybody coming on to the show. Um, you know, we usually do a round of like social media and website hits. So, you know, let's get everybody's info so we can put it out there and promote it. Um, we could start off with, with Jay Swift. Um, you know, tell us where to go to, to find the BKOB rides and, you know, the Twitter and the, everything, the Instagram And we'll we'll pass it around before we go.
0: Probably the easiest for us is through Facebook, uh, Black Kids on Bikes, um, or Freedom Ride LA. On IG, Freedom Ride LA is probably the best way to go. But pretty much that Facebook group, um, there's people from cities all over the world on there. You know, some people in that group participate. Some people, I don't know why they join the group, but... You know, like when we get requests, I'm, I'll make them sit there for months at a time, sometimes years, because, you know, what we, we don't want is flavor of the month. And that's kind of, I'm going to be honest, how I feel about what's going on right now with all this swell of support. You know, it's cool right now. I haven't got an email from GQ magazine trying to sell me some T-shirt with a, you know, some Black Lives Matter from GQ. Really? Like you care? Yeah. At the same time, check it out, man. If you're interested in riding with us, it's all good. The invite is open to everybody. If you're ever in L.A., come down and join us. If you ever know anybody who's come in L.A., send them to that website and tell them it's a group of cool people. They get together on the last Sunday of the month, and they go ride. And, you know, even on that website, even though that's the time we ride, people promote whatever ride is going on. Uh, we support uh, Major Motion, Major Taylor, anybody that's riding, anything in L.A. that's cycling related, we're going to push it out there and uh, just kind of be a portal. So, you know, look at us, find us that way. And uh, we'll be looking to get connects with all these different groups. And I'm looking forward to seeing you guys go onto that page. And I'm going to write down wherever you guys say you are. And we're going to connect and, uh, you know, do like the will do and keep it moving.
3: Lulu, you want to go next? Give us uh, info about Black Girls Do Bike.
0: Willa's not on the call anymore.
3: Oh, she she's gone. Oh, okay. All right. Well, do we do we have her info that we can put out there? Yeah. Um. Uh. Well, Black Girls to
5: Bike is multi. Is a multi-city organization, right? How many cities right. it, is it in? A lot. But I can send you her links and stuff, Don or or, or uh, Nick.
3: Yeah. Or if cool. there's, do we do we know any of the the so like how folks out there could that are listening could uh, tune into her? Yeah. You, they uh, deb- they
5: have a Facebook presence, right, Nate? Yeah, yeah we're yeah. on
3: Facebook, Black Girls Do Bike. They're up there. Okay, and, of so course, they just- search
5: on Lula, too. Search for Lula, Lula Carter, L-U-L-A, Carter. You can also find them at
0: www.blackgirlsdobike.com, too. They got a website. Okay.
3: Great. Um. Um. I'm about to sign
1: off, so I'm gonna shout out real quick. Uh, our event, if you know anyone in Portland, is Black Liberation Ride 2020 on Facebook. Um, and our new org is called Mobilize the Movement. Um, on Facebook and also on Instagram.
5: Mobilize the movement.
1: Yeah. Cool.
6: Yeah. Cool. So that's going to be building in the future uh, it's it's just getting started but yeah um thank y'all for for having us today um, it was really nice connecting with y'all i'm gonna look for all those links and follow and support as well um and just just build this community bigger and start connecting all of our cities up so yeah i'm, I'm glad that everything is moving and rolling and i appreciate y'all
5: really nice meeting both of you thanks
6: thank you
3: hey i want to i want to quickly give a shout out to Oma. It's is your birthday today or tomorrow
4: my birthday is actually on Tuesday.
3: On Tuesday. Yes.
5: Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you.
4: Birthday. <laughs> so uh, can I do my shout outs for Lovett? Yes. Yes. So I'm not like hosting a ride or anything like that because Corona hasn't gone anywhere. But I am contemplating going to the All Black Lives Matter March on Sunday. So um, if you're there, call at me. I uh, also am planning on writing with GKOV once we start up again. Uh, I also do have uh, an audio visual stream with Dublab on Thursday. And you will find all about it on my Instagram, VIDOO.mov. <laughs> so it's we- video OMO or video OMO? videomo.mov
3: dot okay. mov so, next Thursday dev lab. Come check us yeah. out. Awesome.
5: And Marty. Hey yeah, well, um uh, Major Taylor Cycling Club LA on Facebook and on the internet, Instagram, pretty much the same name. We'll get you to uh to our site. We keep a ride calendar, we uh don't restrict any posts. Um so you know. If you have something you want to say or drop some information in there. We do promote other people's events. Jay Swift uh, really put me on blast, though, man. We got to step up our game, man. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. We will definitely do that. And, hey, in New York, thank you. I don't really know your streets and cities very well, but I take it that <laughs> those places were uh, were challenging spots to ride. And uh, so appreciate what you guys did.
8: Yeah, I was – I mean, it was surreal. It's like we went over, like, every single major bridge in the city practically in the space of three hours, and it was this beautiful reclamation of space after what was really a eventful and often challenging kind of week for really everybody in the city and cyclists in their own kind of little way as well. Uh,
3: yeah. So do you guys have, like a, like, a group or a social media group where – you uh post about these bikes that that you guys are rescuing or is there a way like like how do you um, guys reunite the bikes with people
8: um i know there are people who are trying to do that uh the couple times we've done it it's been just uh i know ben ben found a few kind of after a couple wednesday nights ago uh after the uh you know a bunch of bikes were seized at this protest in brooklyn um Last Friday night, uh, you know, we made an effort to rescue a bike of someone who was getting arrested right in front of us.
7: Yeah, we're taking Um, his his name and number while he's in cuffs. uh, And then we just because, you know, we have to keep following the protests. So we just ask, is there a hero up there that wants to babysit this thing? And then we pass off the information. And as I I think we found out the next day is the one bike that we were able to find a hose for did make it back to its owner. Yeah. So, and the other ones, uh, you know, bike Twitter, whatever that is officially or unofficially has really stepped up to, to find the owners of these things. We had a couple of instances
3: in LA where the cops did the same thing. And like a random resident who, you know, found these bikes after the cops arrested people and just, they just leave the bikes behind. It's not like, it's it's something that's happening. I don't know. It's just the way cops are. I guess so just yeah. So yeah,
7: and there's no room in the here. pipeline f- of justice right now for you know taking on the NYPD over bicycle dispossession.
0: Too, like we've had people be in car accidents and have medical emergencies. Guess what? The cops just leave their bike there. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah. They they can't take it. They don't. They're not going to call the cops. They're not going to come. It just goes to show like we're not respected. So that's why we kind of go back to that voting because we got laws out there, but no one, they just could give a shit, you know? So
3: yeah,
0: pandemic, riot, whatever, your bike is going to get left. So, <laughs> so, yeah.
3: I think a lot, I think it's, it's sort of this cultural thing where they, they see bikes as toys. If, if you're not a bike rider, a bike is a toy or something. I don't know. It's in exactly New York, it. they see him as a uniform in the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, once again, I think we got everybody, right? We got all the. All um, the
8: I guess really, really quickly. So I don't really yeah. know who's organizing the rides in New York. Uh, there's a lot of protest infrastructure. That's like a little bit below the surface, but um, one way to learn about them and to learn about anything going on in the city right now is that there's a telegram channel slash george floyd nyc i don't know who runs it there are like four thousand people on it so it's not i'm not giving away any secrets here but it's basically from what i can gather one anonymous individual who's aggregating stuff from various police scanners um plus like the flyers for whatever events are happening that day um so if you wanted to you know if you're in new york you get on the telegram channel you can figure out where the groups of bikes are almost in real time um, in addition to other sort of announcements around, uh, you know, various kind of protest activity. That's been really the one kind of invaluable source of information here. Because, um, again, it's unclear a lot of the time exactly who's organizing what and how and when. And that's by design, I think. Uh, so, yeah, it's the, the Telegram channel is your best bet here if you want to find, uh, find protest rides.
7: Yeah. And if anyone wants to read up on uh, Armin's experience, I do recommend his article, uh, How Long Can We Live Like This on Tablet by, I know his name isn't on here on the screen, but by Armin Rosen, where he discusses how his was the finest and most efficient beating that taxpayer money can buy. It was. (laughs) uh, As well as uh, an article that came out today on Bedford and Bowery by Alexander Justanis that just has a headline of, have police been illegally seizing protesters bikes spoiler yes Uh, but yeah i just wanted to (laughs) serve those up for anyone who wanted to read more about um how the nypd is doing it and
8: yeah our fair city both with photography from ben
3: awesome we'll check that out and uh we want to get you guys back on for some more live coverage of the of the the protests out there.
7: Well, yeah. we'll keep an eye out of my camera. I'll, I'll start pointing it more at two
3: wheel vehicles. So, yeah, we got to work <laughs> on that, uh, the horizontal, the catching the uh, horizon line. I, I wasn't yeah. even sure
7: what I was seeing. I watched a guy get shoved right off his bike by the NYPD and I didn't catch it. And, and it wasn't until we went and reviewed the footage, the eagle eyed viewers were like, Yeah, no, go back to the 40 second mark, you'll see him <laughs> shove him hard.
8: Wow, so, yeah, he got he got footage of a guy getting basically like. Cross-checked off a bike like in hockey, um, and didn't notice it until the next day. Uh, and there, I mean, there are journalists and investigators in the city who are like still piecing together footage of crap the cops did a week ago. Um, it's remarkable. I mean, it's a yeah. lot of uh, big body of evidence, as it turns out. So,
3: are there are there going to be any lawyers working on that? Oh, no, I doubt. There it. already are. There already are.
7: No, okay. there are. There. Are. I'm very skeptical about you know, what the pipeline of justice has room for right now. And, and, um, right you know, he, the cop didn't give me a receipt for my bike it isn't high at the list, but I hope so. But look, cause New York it's York is some of the violence that's getting, yeah. yeah, it's actual yeah. violence. It's not cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But look, okay. New York is a
8: city of a lot of lawyers and a lot of them are really pissed off yeah. right now. So <laughs> that's a, it's a good thing. All right.
3: Well, we'll we'll check back in with you, and maybe we'll have you guys back on uh, next week if you're available. So, uh, awesome. thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in and keeping us up to date out in New York. Um, Pleasure. Anybody from Portland still left? We're gonna say peace out in Bike Utopia up there. Yeah, enjoy then, Oregon uh, for me. And then L.A., I love you guys
5: love you yeah, back no. now hey, hey nick and dodd thank you so much we appreciate it man. Yeah, big thank thanks. You. yeah thanks again all right all right nice meeting was... you armin and
3: ben yeah you too Same here have a good Same. night all right this yep. has been uh bike talk on kpfk live stream now on zoom my name is don ward and my co-host nick richard ride safe everybody
8: Shows I care. Every turn of the pedal cleans the air. Cleaning the green, I'm saving the planet. Just like my friends Dale, Sean, Toby, and Janet. No greenhouse gas, a tiny carbon footprint up your ass. I'm on a motherfucking bike. I'm on a
3: motherfucking bike. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is Bike Talk PFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.